Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, April 8th, 2014. Kind of an auspicious day today. I'm really excited about something really mundane. That's right, warmer weather has come back and today is the first day since last year late in the year that I have worn shorts in the studio. That's right. I am not wearing pants, I'm wearing shorts. Yeah, you gotta fill in the blanks there, that can be misconstrued. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We slow down, slow, 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 slow down, and uh, take the time to open up our Bibles and compare what people are saying to what God's Word says in context, using sound biblical hermeneutics to see if what we're being taught is the truth, or if uh, if uh, the popular teaching out there by popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, and the like uh, is actually a, yeah, a different message than what the biblical text gives us. And oftentimes, in fact, sadly, oftentimes we find that... Uh, the most favoritistist, that's not even a word, um, <laughs> most popular uh, folks out there in the uh, evangelical celebrity scene, eh, well, unfortunately, um, they're not telling us the truth. And uh, so the idea here is uh, we want you to actually understand what Scripture says, because what Scripture really says is so much better, so much more interesting than so much of the popularized narcissistic nonsense that passes as biblical instruction nowadays. All right, so kind of a lot to catch up on here, um, and there's just like no way I'm going to be able to do it in in one broadcast. But um, uh, over the weekend, I was in Seward, Nebraska, and gave a, a series of lectures all in one day. That's the way I like to do it, just you know, squish it all into one day, um, on, the, uh, on the work of the Holy Spirit, it's probably not what you think. And it went well, um, and we had a great group of people there, and it was fantastic to meet some of you all. And uh, I'm hoping to be able to do the lectures again sometime in the near future, but uh, you know, we're kind of looking for a host uh, congregation, uh, some <clears throat> preferably somewhere out on the West Coast to be able to do these lectures. So uh, stay tuned. We'll keep you posted. And the, and the reason being is, is that 
Um, you know, last year when I did the uh, "Don't Be Schnookered, Bamboozled" uh, lectures, um, and we played them on the on the air, uh, those actually that was a compilation of uh, two different appearances in two different uh, churches in order to get uh, the adequate audio to capture what we were doing. So, um, you know, I, having listened to the audio from the lectures over the weekend, some of them I could use. Um, I'm looking for uh, the ability to re-deliver these uh, same lectures in order to. Uh, properly you know capture what i'm hoping to you know do here so that we can play them here at fighting for the faith does that make any sense so anyway so stay tuned um yeah we will eventually uh be able to uh deliver the lectures in their entirety here at fighting for the faith and uh and so that you'll be able to hear it but uh again uh thank you to the good folks out at uh, mighty fortress in uh, seward nebraska uh, for hosting uh, me and my wife as we traveled out there, great trip, great great time with uh, to to meet some of y'all, and uh, so anyway, <clears throat> that's uh, how that went. Yesterday, I was uh, just you know just overwhelmed with a whole bunch of things that I had to catch up on, and so we were not able to do a, an episode yesterday. So if you're looking in the podcast stream, going, "Hey, where's Monday, April seventh episode of Fighting for the Faith?" It's uh, it's non-existent. It it doesn't exist. I had to invoke uh, a personal day, if you would, here. Although you know, because I run Pirate Christian Radio uh, and uh, Fighting for the Faith, you know, airs on Pirate Christian Radio. Um, you know, I I get the well, I have the authority to you know make up policies as I go along, and <laughs> and so uh, I I realized yesterday that we do not have a formal um, policy for personal days. And so I had to quickly sit down and write one out so that I can – no, I didn't. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah I, I sometimes wonder if uh, y'all think that uh, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith, you know, if the, the studios that uh, we operate in are just super-duper elaborate and, you know, state-of-the-art and things like that, nothing could be further from the truth. This is the baddest – well, low budget is um, – it doesn't even come close to describing what it is we operate here. And plus, you know, you know, in studio, I mean, literally, I have books scattered all over the place because I'm always reading, always researching, hunting down this idea or that passage, or trying to you know look at it, you know, a, a good commentary on a particular passage. All you know, and I have this really bad habit of once I pull a book off of my uh, my shelf in my library. It doesn't go back immediately. It ends up in in these piles and stacks, and and then when I can't see over the stacks, I think, well, maybe it's time to clean up. But uh, anyway, so let's talk. You know, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. There's uh, three things I want to accomplish: first hour, second hour sermon review. And that's kind of the standard here, uh, you know, way we operate here. So we're going to start off our uh, broadcast week, although it's a shorter week because I was not in studio yesterday. We're going to start off. With a Joel Osteen update. That's right. Um, you know, so you're going to hear Chip Skylark here. But the, the name of the uh, sermon, yeah, I don't – what do you call Osteen's messages? They're not sermons. Um, in fact, we're, we're going to play the commercial prior to the beginning of the message just due to the fact that it's, it's just rotten theology. So if you know somebody who's into Joel Osteen or you yourself or somebody who thinks that Joel Osteen is – Offering you sound biblical messages. Well, I, I have bad news. He, he's not. And so, um, if you know somebody who's into Joel Osteen, you know, pass along our critiques here at Fighting for the Faith, and in the hopes of saying, listen, you know, you do not want to be getting your 
Christian doctrine and theology from Joel Osteen. He's not teaching you what God's Word says. And so uh, we're going to be listening to a message, or part of a message, have a positive mindset. Of course he would say that. You know, somebody, who was I talking to? Um, I think, you know, I come to think of it, I, I think I was having a conversation with my son. And we were talking about the idea that that Joel Osteen, because he's so syrupy and positive all the time, that um, it would be hilarious if somebody did a satirical spoof of uh, of a Joel Osteen esque character in like a movie or maybe a Saturday Night Live sketch where you know he gets up on stage and is all positive and flowery and just everything is coming up rainbows and as soon as he gets off stage goes oh man and then goes into a tirade and, and just lets out all of his anger and and just <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, come to think of it, I mean, Joel Osteen's stage persona, I mean, there isn't anything negative that this guy ever talks about. And it's almost getting to the point where it's unbelievably unhuman. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Because the one thing I know about Joel Osteen is that he, like me, is a sinner. So, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So um, so we're going to do a a Joel Osteen update. And uh, then we're going to introduce a a brand new person that we've never uh, reviewed here at Fighting for the Faith. Recently found her channel. Her name is Terry Savell Foy. And um, we're going to be listening to a a portion of a YouTube video that she put out there entitled, How Do I Know What God Wants for My Life? Now, this, I think, is an important little uh, message that we're going to critique here, because um, in it, the presupposition is the thing that's the problem. And you're going, what's a presupposition? Think of the presupposition as the, uh, the core assumed idea, okay? Um, the presupposition is actually false, and so um, you know this is this is important because oftentimes when I critique people who are talking about oh the need to hear God's voice or you know you pray and you're supposed to listen and God's supposed to tell you what to do, um, that's actually not what God's word teaches us to do at all. And so immediately when I do uh, critiques like that, people ask questions like, well, Chris. I mean, how am I supposed to know what God's will is for my life if God's not going to talk to me? Like, you know, who does he want me to marry? Does he want me to buy a Honda, a Toyota, or a Camry? I mean, well, you get what I'm saying. Does he want me to buy the red car or the blue car? How am I supposed to know what God's will is if he's not going to be talking to me? And, okay, and I would point out, it's somebody who asked that question, your presupposition is actually the problem. Okay, and so you know, you're thinking, okay, well, uh, that still doesn't quite answer my question. Yeah, I understand that. Stay tuned for the segment, and uh, we'll figure it out. And then what we're going to be doing is we're going to be listening to after the first break a uh, a, a pretty extended segment uh, from a sermon delivered by uh, Rick Warren at the beginning of the year, kind of uh, Daniel Plan 2.0, if you would. And the reason I'm going to play it is because um, you know this Daniel Plan thing it. It absolutely just frosts my cookies that uh, there are there are Christians who have been deceived by Rick Warren into believing that the book of Daniel has to do with you know dieting. It has absolutely nothing to do with dieting. And what's interesting about what we're going to be listening to is that uh, the, the portion of the sermon we will be hearing uh, in it, Rick Warren actually identifies that he has some concept of what it means to twist God's word, and ironically, <laughs> this is like the best way to put it, ironically, he actually 
shows a desire to not twist God's word, and then no sooner does he express this desire to not twist God's word that he turns around and twists God's word. So, uh, you know, that's what we're going to do in hour number uh, one. Hour number two, we're going to be listening to a uh, sermon from Planet Shakers. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done a Planet Shakers uh, sermon review. So details about the uh, sermon review in hour number two. Oh, and I almost forgot. It, during the first break today, uh, we will be playing a brand new Max Holiday sketch entitled Cheech and Chong Catechesis. And um, just so you know, the genesis of that particular <clears throat> um, sketch is the Rob Bell interview with Oprah Winfrey. If you remember last week when I played Rob Bell's interview with Oprah Winfrey when they were discussing what we talk about when we talk about God, and I made the quip that his answers sound like they could have been given by Cheech and Chong. Well, we decided to see what that would actually sound like. So uh, in our in the first break today, our Max Holiday sketch is entitled Cheech and Chong Catechesis, brand new uh, Max Holiday. So uh, with that, we have a, a lot of um, a, a lot that we need to do here today. And since we're going to be starting off with the Joe Lostein update, that requires us to do this. When I'm feeling lonely. Sad as I can be All by myself An uncharted island in an endless sea What makes me happy Fills me up with glee Those bones in my jaw That don't have a flaw My shiny teeth in me My shiny teeth that twinkle Just like the stars in space My shiny teeth that sparkle And beauty to my face My shiny teeth that That's right, that's Chip Skylark and Shiny Teeth and Me. That's our Joel Osteen update music. Now, what we're going to be listening to is uh, part of a message from Joel Osteen titled, Have a Positive Mindset. Now, from time to time, when I do Joel Osteen updates, one of the things I do is play the commercial that precedes the message on their website. Uh, because sometimes the commercials uh, also give us pause and go, ooh, that's some majorly bad teaching. So uh, so understand, we're going to be playing the commercial first, and then after that will come the message. So here's the commercial for their latest um, <clears throat> off, a gift, uh, uh, well, the featured thing for a gift of any size to Joel Osteen's Ministry entitled Your Breakthrough. It's about experiencing God's supernatural. Yeah, uh, here's um, Joel and Victoria Osteen in order to explain to you this. Joel and Victoria would like to send you a copy of Joel's new series, Your Breakthrough, Experiencing God's Supernatural Blessings. Mm -hmm. Your Breakthrough, Experiencing God's Supernatural Blessings. You'll notice that in evangelicalism, breakthrough talk is uh, has become common. It's become you know part of Christianese of of the church lately, and unfortunately, um, it's not based on sound biblical teaching, like at all. As a thank you for your support of our ministry, in this series you'll be inspired to work through life's difficult challenges. Oh wow, that's what I need. I need inspiration to work through life's difficult challenges. Wow. Yeah, I could get this from, like, any self-help guru. Why would I want it from a pastor whose job is to preach Christ? You know what I'm saying? No matter what you're facing or how impossible it looks, you can stretch your faith and believe. 
stretch my faith, just like the muscles in the back of my legs, you know, as before I get on the treadmill, I can stretch my faith. Leave for your breakthrough. Yeah. One touch of God's favor can turn any situation around. One touch of God's favor. Is that like a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down? What is that? Don't get discouraged because you don't see anything happening. God is working behind the scenes. Every difficulty... Yeah, you got a verse that says that? ...is only temporary. Keep believing breakthroughs are coming your way. Just keep believing and breakthroughs are coming your way. Wow, wow, this is just so inspiring. When you live with expectancy, that allows God to do great things. Okay, so in order... See, that allows... So if I live with expectancy, that allows... Allows God to do great things. So God is, you know, sitting there up in heaven going, oh, I I hope that they uh, can live with expectancy because I really need to be allowed to do great things in people's lives. And, you know, I I really can't do anything until they have expectancy because, you know, that just ties my hands and makes me utterly powerless. You know, I mean, what kind of God is that? Request this resource. I know it will encourage and inspire you. Request your copy of Your Breakthrough, Experiencing God's Supernatural Blessings, today. Yeah, and uh, a note to the Fighting for the Faith listening audience, please do not send me copies of this. Just saying. Discover the sinner in you. Oh, that's not what it said. Well, God bless you. It's always a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you again for coming out today. I like to start with something funny. I heard about this country couple. They were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. They'd never had an argument before. Not one. Someone asked them the secret of their success. The husband explained as they were leaving the church, going on their honeymoon, the wife's horse refused to go. She got off, looked the horse in the eyes and said, that's one. He went a little bit further, stopped again. She got off, looked the horse in the eyes, said, that's two. Went a little bit more, stopped another time. This time she got off, pulled out her revolver and shot the horse dead. Her husband said, what in the world are you doing? You can't just shoot an animal. She looked at him and said, honey, that's one. (laughs) Hold up your Bible and say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you about... Having a positive mindset. Right, because, you know, Jesus talked about that really important thing about having a positive mindset right there in, um, yeah, hang on a second. Um, no, it's not in Matthew. Hmm. No, not in Mark. Not in Luke or John either. Where, where did Jesus talk about the importance of, yeah, he didn't, did he? Every day we get to choose what kind of attitude we're going to have. We can choose to be happy, look on the bright side. Always look on the bright side of life. Yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah. Uh, That's not Christian theology either, even though it appeared in a Monty Python movie supposedly about Jesus, you know, the life of Brian. 
Um, no, I see bad theology there too. Expect good things, believe that our dreams will come to pass, or we can choose to be negative, focus on our problems, dwell on what didn't work out, live worried and discouraged. It's a choice that we all make. Nobody can force you to have a certain attitude. Life will go so much better if you will simply choose to be positive. It'll, it'll go so much better. I mean, I'm, I'm, oh, this is awfully nice of you, Joel, to care about people so much that you want to make sure that things in this temporal life before the day of judgment, on the day when they have to give an accounting to God, um, yeah, that, uh, that they, things in this life just go smoothly for them by having a positive attitude. That's, I mean, that's really nice and comfy of you. Um, hmm. Are you going to tell them that they are dead in trespasses and sins? Um, they're, they are under the wrath of God, born um, sinners. Um, they've earned hell, and that it doesn't matter how comfy their life is now, um, they're going to have to actually stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday. And unless they have been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, well, they're going to spend eternity in, in uh, hell. Um, are you going to tell them that? I mean, I mean, it's awful nice that you, you know, you, you know, you've, you, this is, have you ever been on a cruise? You know, work with me here for a second here. I'm kind of on a metaphor, but you know, on cruises, um, you know, if they, they have those deck chairs and things like that. And so, you know, as the, on the days when the, the, the ship is out at sea, you know, and you, so you got a day at sea, a, a lot of times people will, you know, around the pool deck, you know, they, they'll be on those, uh, you know, those those deck chairs and things like that. And then they have those little towel boys coming around and, you know, they offer to give you maybe a pillow to prop things up or, get, you know, they offer you a drink or, you know, things like that just to kind of make things more comfortable for you. Right. Is that what Jesus is? He's he's like the uh, the pool boy, the deck boy on the ship coming around and making sure that you're comfortable uh, before we arrive at our destination, you know, and, and so the, you can see some couple, they're having a difficult time and, you know, and, and, and maybe they've had a spat in their cabin, but they're out on the pool deck now. And, and, and the wife is shooting a, an, a, an icy glance at her husband and her husband is, is, is looking frustrated and all, although he's trying to read a book. And, and so the little pool boy comes along and says, you know, you would enjoy our, 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 our cruise so much better if you would just choose to have a positive attitude and, and they go oh, oh what were we thinking thanks pool boy that was awful nice of you to tell us this because oh we would have had a terrible cruise if you hadn't come by to remind us that having a positive attitude is uh, the way in which we can better enjoy our cruise i mean aside from being like ridiculously obvious information i mean i could get this kind of advice um from just about anybody um, this doesn't have anything to do with Christianity because Christianity has this amazing story to tell that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not counting men's trespasses against him. Uh, Jesus has come to actually fulfill man's greatest need, and that is, is, is to, well, to be forgiven by God for our rebellion and sin against him by siding with the devil. Uh, and this happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Every human being born to uh, Adam and Eve naturally uh, were born dead in trespasses and sins and uh, and in bondage to sin, death, and the devil. But God became a man in Jesus Christ and came to earth and lived a perfect life in our place and on the cross took our sins upon himself and died for us. 
And so the Christian message is not about making things comfy now, but about um, not facing the wrath of God on the day of judgment. You see what I'm saying here? This is... Seems to be a weird priority in in Joel Osteen. He's you know he's into this pool boy the, theology where you know it's all about making people comfortable on the cruise before we arrive at our destination. Whereas Christianity is all about um, when you arrive at your destination, making sure that it's a good one and not and not you having to actually pay the penalty of your sins uh, by being separated for eternity in hell uh, from from the. Uh, yeah, the good graces of God, if you would. But we continue. When you wake up in the morning, choose to be happy. Choose to be grateful for the day. Choose to focus on your possibilities. A good attitude doesn't automatically come. If you don't make this choice, most likely you will default back to a negative mindset. Thinking, oh, I don't feel like going to work. Oh, no, that's just terrible. I mean, whew. could you imagine if, I mean... There you are, you're going through life, and all of a sudden you just like automatically revert back to a negative mindset. Oh, I mean, it reminds me of that commercial, you know, you bonk yourself on the head and say, oh, I could have had a V8, you know. I've got so many obstacles. Nothing good ever happens to me. The problem is a negative attitude will limit your life. And we all face difficulties. Oh, no. A negative attitude will limit your life. And you know, your sin um, will keep you from eternal life with Christ, right? We all have tough times, but the right attitude is, this didn't come to stay, it came to pass. It's only temporary. Maybe you didn't get the promotion you were hoping for. You could ease. Yeah, now, I understand that circumstances in our life oftentimes, not always, oftentimes are temporary, at least temporary is... is um, you know, in that they, they pass and then, you know, some other portion of life, normal life resumes, okay? And then there's certain things that happen in our lives that are permanent for the remainder of this temporary life. But again, um, yeah, it's true that circumstances have a tendency to pass. But we're talking about the difference of eternal life with Christ or eternal life or eternal death in the lake of fire. You, you, you know what I'm saying here? I mean, just I'm just kind of prioritizing and thinking, yeah, um, focusing on the a temporary situation in a, you know, a, a temporary solution to a temporary problem in this temporary life is not the focus of Christianity. Be sour. No, that's all right. I know God has something better in store. You got caught in traffic. I'm not going to be stressed. I know I'm at the right place at the right time. God is directing my steps. Perhaps the medical report wasn't good. I'm not worried. God has me in the palm of his hand. The number of my days he's promised to fulfill. Or maybe it's that your dream is taking longer than you thought. Oh, yeah, that, that's always just really obnoxious. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I get really, really um, angry inside. When my dreams take a lot longer to pan out than I had thought. Yeah, that, that's, that's one of those <clears throat> clearly first world problems. You know what I'm saying? But that's all right. I know the right people, the right opportunities are already in my future. At the right time, it will come to pass. When you live with this positive mindset, you can't be defeated. No matter what comes your way. You really, you know, Scripture says that we've already been defeated by sin, death, and the devil, but that Christ has conquered all of them for us. Yeah, it's just, you know, again, um, does this guy actually even attempt to read his Bible? Shake it off and move forward. 
It's like a little boy I heard about. He had a baseball bat and a ball. Mm-hmm. So this is the one of Jesus' parables, the parable of the boy with the baseball bat and ball, right? He said to himself, I'm the best hitter in all the world. He threw the ball up, swung at it, and missed. Picked it up, straightened his hat, said it again. I'm the best hitter in all the world. Threw the ball up a second time, swung away, and missed again. This time, he said it even more determined. I'm the best hitter in all the world. He threw the ball up the third time, concentrated, swung away, but he missed it the third time. Laid the bat down, smiled real big, said, what do you know? I'm the best pitcher in all the world. Yeah, that's a cute story and all, and I, and I know that people are laughing at it because they think it's just cute and stuff. But the problem is that the people laughing at this you know, story from this, quote, sermon, do they even know that they need to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Do they know anything about the wrath of God? Have they heard of anything regarding sin? Um, do they understand that um, they're going to have to face Christ someday and give an accounting of their life? Do they know any of that stuff? Or um, are they just laughing their way to hell as they feel like they've, they're somehow worshiping God, but the God they're worshiping, well, is a God of their own making? That's really what the problem is. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, kind of a uh, Patricia King gang-ish update regarding you know, how to know what God's will is for your life, and then uh, an extended uh, Rip Warren update. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Keep telling you there's more. There's more, man. This isn't just a meal. This isn't just a person. This isn't just an embrace. Whoa, this isn't just an interview, right, man? 
I think you're getting a little hungry. Hey, man, shut your face for a minute. This nice lady just wants to ask us some questions. There's more. See, what did I tell you, hombre? Your definition of God. Whoa, man, that's deep. I'm wondering what that could possibly be. It's trying to explain you and explain the Dude, dude, I totally got this. Hold on. I, I just got it. I got to Give up with it right now. It's like a song you hear in another room. And you think, boy, that sounds beautiful. But I can only hear a little bit. So you start opening doors and rearranging furniture because you, you have to get to that room to hear that song, man. Hey, man, that reminds me of when we went inside the Grateful Dead. Yeah. So when you get into the room, you find the knobs on the radio and then turn them all the way to the right to like 11 or something because you're like, I have got to hear more of that. Far out. Then you, like, open the windows because you want the people in the next houses to hear of it. Of course, that's when the also the Pelucha next door calls up the fuzz and you've got to turn it down again. Mm. It's trying to give us a culture, man. What's the difference between religion and spirituality? Or is there a difference? The difference between religion and spirituality. Um, let's see, that's a, that's a hard one. Hey, John, you got this? Yeah, man, hold on, hold on. We know that some say that religious people don't want to go to hell, man. And spirituality is people who've been to hell already. Religion should be the structures, the prayer tables, the thing that you do in the course. It should help you cultivate. <laughs> I can't say it, man. You do it. It should be the practices. It should be the... Symbols. It should be the rituals that cultivate. <laughs> it cultivates <laughs> your sense of this morph. What does prayer mean to you? Oh, man, the lady at the drugstore just asked me that yesterday. Hold on, I gotta think about this. What did I say to her? What did I say? Hold on, man. I remember. This is what you said, man. Prayer to us is usually one word, which is... Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm open. What's next? Was that what it is, man? The world needs. Finish that sentence. The world needs. The world needs. All of us need to wake up, man. That's the one. That's the one. Heaven is. Here and now. And then and there. And at hand and among us and upon us and, uh... Available and real. I believe. I believe that we're uh, that we're gonna be just fine, just fine. God is. Oh, love. <laughs> Stick with that one. God is love. I think that's in the book somewhere. What do you know for sure? What do I know for sure? <laughs> um, uh, hold on. <laughs> uh, hold on, man. I I know. I know what I know for certain. That you can say yes to this moment and experience a joy that can't be put into words, man. That it it's actually possible. I, I know that for sure. There's like these crazy German word for it. It's called Grisenburger or something like that. Hey, a burger sounds really good right about now, man. I know, I say. Dude, let's go get into La Bamba, head down to In-N-Out Burger, and get ourselves some double-double animal styles, man. Oh, man, that would just hit the spot, man. Hey, thanks for the interview, lady. We'll be sure to, like, keep in touch or something.
pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your church thinks that the book of Daniel is about dieting. It's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It is a great way to support us, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. So have you ever wondered how to know what God wants for your life? Hmm. Does God want you to marry that gal or that guy? Does God want you to buy a Toyota, a Toyota or a Honda or a, you know, a Plymouth? You know, you know. here's uh, <clears throat> Terry Savelle Foy from her YouTube channel trying to explain to us how we can know what God wants for our life. Now, like I said at the beginning of the program, uh, the problem here is the presupposition, you know, the assumed thing. Um, there's an assumed problem here, but uh, let's let her spin this out a little bit before we correct, because this will help help us out. Yeah, so here's Terry Savelle Foy on how do I know what God wants for my life. Here we go. How would you like to receive God-inspired ideas that produce major income in your life? Wow, God-inspired ideas that create major income. Sign me up. Or how would you like to know... For sure, which college you should go to. or mm, how, how, how would I know for sure which college to go to? Mm-hmm. Or if you should marry this person. Or if I should marry a person, but I'm already married. Or maybe a career change and you're wondering, am I supposed to switch careers or am I supposed to stay where I'm at? Uh-huh. Is God into fortune telling? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that people check their horoscope for. By the way, um, there, again, there's an, there's an assumption here that's cr- incorrect. The, the presupposition's false. I'll explain why in a minute. How would you like to know the direction God has for your life? You know, we get so many praise reports, but also prayer requests and things coming through the Internet of people asking us, 
A lot of times they're asking the same question. Terry, how do I know what God wants me to do with my life? Mm-hmm. So a great question, by the way. How do I know what God wants me to do for my life? Okay, this is a common question that people ask. And again, the answer that she's going to give, the presupposition is actually not good. We continue, though. How do I get that direction, that wisdom for my life? That's one of the things people want to know more than anything is how do I get the wisdom? Well, I believe there are ways you can obtain the wisdom of God for your life. In fact, Mm -hmm. like reading my Bible. In fact, I want to read this story to you. You want to read a story to me? Is this from God's word? This is from an old ancient legend. Uh, huh. <laughs> Uh-oh. So in order to answer the question, how do I know what God wants for my life? You're not going to go to the Bible. You're going to go to an ancient legend. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Terry, listen. Um, this is not where you get uh, sound biblical doctrine from ancient legends. If you want to know the answer to the question, you actually have to go into God's word. You know what I'm saying? Listen to this. It says there was a time when ordinary people had access to all the knowledge of the gods. Yet time and again, they ignored this wisdom. One day, the gods grew tired of so freely giving a gift to the people that they didn't use. So they decided to hide this precious wisdom where only the most committed of seekers would discover it. They believed that if people had to work to find this wisdom, they would use it more carefully. One of the gods suggested that they bury it deep in the earth. No, the other said, too many people could easily dig down and find it. Let's put it in the deepest ocean, suggested one of the gods. But that idea was also rejected. They knew that one day people would learn to dive and they would eventually find it. One of the gods suggested hiding it on the highest mountaintop. But it was quickly agreed that people could climb mountains. Finally, one of the wisest gods suggested, let's hide it deep inside the people themselves. They'll never think to look in there. Mm-hmm. You know, notice that your story, your legend story is polytheistic, the gods. Um, there's only one God. And so it came to be, and so it continues today. Okay, and what does this prove exactly, Terry? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that. It, I agree. It is totally crazy that you would answer the question, well, how do I know what God wants for my life by going to a legend, a polytheistic legend? Uh-huh. But you know what? I believe that if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you have the wisdom of God already on the inside of you. And why would you believe that? Because a legend with multiple deities says so? Yeah, th- this is no way to decide these things. It's in you. No, it's not. Not not unless it's a biblical passage that says so. The wisdom of God is already on the inside of you. You know, the law of God's written on my heart, but the wisdom of God, you know, not so much. Well, this month in particular, I want to teach you how to journal your time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So journaling is going to solve this problem. Now, this is a practice that I started years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, that must make it true. Based on something that my dad taught me. Oh, well, that well, your dads are never wrong. He taught me to always go into my prayer time with the Lord with a journal and a pen. Uh-huh. Just a simple journal and a pen. If this is what God wanted me to do, why doesn't his word tell me to, whenever I go into my prayer time, have a journal and pen? 
Expecting to hear from God. Uh, expecting direct revelation from God. Where does God's word tell me that I should expect direct revelation from in order to give me guidance on what college to go to, what career to seek, who to marry, and things like that? And you know, I'm telling you, it has provided so much peace and so much confidence. Just practice. Oh, yeah. Well, see, since you have peace, that means it must be true, right? listening to the voice of God. And I'll tell you the truth. There are so many times. Yeah, you haven't told me the truth yet. Especially in the beginning. I would sit there with my journal and my pen and I would be listening. And so many times I wouldn't hear a thing. Other times I would maybe hear something come up in my heart, but I wasn't sure, you know, is it God? Is it me? Or is it even the devil? Yeah. By the way, um, if you want to actually, with 100% accuracy, know that God's actually speaking to you, it's real simple. Open up your Bible, read it in context, okay? Yeah, start at the beginning of a book and work your way through it. Start, Start at the beginning of an epistle, work your way through it. God speaks through his word. Definitely, he's speaking to you. And you can know with certainty that God's the one talking to you because that's what his word is. But I would just write it down anyway. Uh And I'm telling you, it has built so much confidence in my ability to hear from God. Just practicing this simple principle. Mm -hmm. Confidence in my ability to hear from God. Confidence in his love for me. In fact, I remember... One of the first times I began, you know, journaling my time with the Lord. And all I heard as I sat there quietly was, I love you, Terry. I've loved you all along. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, Okay, so here's the problem, okay? And again, it's down on a presuppositional level, okay? So here's the presupposition that's false. That God is the one who's making all of life's little decisions for you. He's not, Okay. Um, okay, let me give you some passages to kind of work from so you understand what I'm talking about here, you know, because here I'm complaining this woman's not going to the Scripture. Okay, what does the Scripture say regarding you as a Christian and whom you should marry? Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians six fourteen. do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, aha, so what is God's will regarding marriage? That you don't marry a pagan. There you go. And you're going, um, but uh, should I marry Jane or should I marry Mary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they both believers? Yeah. Pick the one you like. You know, it's <laughs> it's that simple. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, 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 hasn't God picked out a soulmate for me? No, he hasn't. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God's picked out a soulmate for you. So the idea is um, God's word is not... It's a compass, if you would. It, you know, it, it, there's a compass aspect to it. it. It gives you true north, and it helps you make decisions, but you're the one making the decision. Okay, let me give you another passage that will help here. Um, this is a, a, a passage of Scripture that you know, some women don't particularly like, but it's uh, Proverbs 31. Now, I want, want you to pay attention to uh, to the excellent wife from Proverbs 31, and note the things that she does. An excellent wife who can find, she's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard 
Okay, it doesn't say she goes and seeks God's guidance as to whether or not she should buy the vineyard. No, she she goes out and she makes the decision. She considers it and goes, yeah, okay, that's that's the one we want, and then she pays for it. So the idea is this, is that God has not micromanaged your life down to the nth degree, and you've got to sit there in prayer and listen for his voice so he can give you guidance on these things. No, not at all. Who's the one who's going to make the decision as to who you are going to marry? Answer, you are. You're going to make that decision. And so choose wisely. Choose according to the, you know, the, the, you know, the ideas that Scripture laid down. Don't marry a pagan. Don't marry an unbeliever. Um, and, you know, and take into consideration you know, different character attributes and things like that. Uh, but you're the one making the decision, not God. That's your decision. God has delegated down to us the uh, the ability to make those decisions. So, what car should you purchase? Should you purchase, say, uh, you know, a minivan, or should you, pour, uh, you know, get one of those crossover vehicles, or should you get a sedan? Uh, what what car should you get? Um, has do you need to go and listen for God and journal? You know what He's telling you, saying, "Get the minivan." Oh man, I was hoping God was going to let me get the, you know, uh, the crossover. You know, you know, no. Sit down and think of it this way: all of the money that you have belongs to God. Not ten percent of it, all of it, all of it. These are the resources that God has provided to you to care for your family, put food on the table, pay for your insurance, pay for your rent, and things like that. So the idea then is spend your money wisely so that you're not stretched or whatever. And so look at your needs and then go out there and make the decision as to what you're going to purchase with God's money and and take care of that. So, you know, you basically say, you know, God needs me to go to work, so I need an economical vehicle. This is the one I've purchased, but I went ahead and got the, you know, the 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 sapphire blue because I like that color. And you know what? That's the car that that God wants you to have because that's the one you wanted to have because it was your decision to make. It's really that simple. So the idea then is is that by being in God's word, you understand what sin is, what sin isn't, what what honors and pleases God and what doesn't honor and please God, and you make decisions accordingly. You know, you consider a field, you go and buy it if that's if that's the right thing, you know. So be wise with what God has given you to, you know, to manage your life and to you know to uh, meet your needs and don't be splurging and, and and wasting and squandering it. That's not that's not good. And so the idea is you're in God's word. You learn what God's will is, and it's not down to the in, in degree. The idea is that God's word provides the compass for you to make these decisions and make them wisely. And you don't need to sit there and journal and you know listen for God's voice because nowhere in Scripture does God tell you to do that, nor does He promise to speak to you in that way. Moving along. I don't know where I'm gonna look, but I'm gonna find my purpose. Gotta find out, don't wanna wait. Got to make sure that my life will be great. Gotta find my purpose before it's too late. That's right, it's our purpose-driven update music. It's time for a look at a sermon delivered not too long ago over at Saddleback. 
as uh, Rick Warren reboots the Daniel Plan. This is Daniel Plan 2.0, if you would, in conjunction with the release of his book. And we're going to take a look at what he does to the book of Daniel. But we're going to listen to a, a long enough segment so we can get the context of what's going on. And notice his trepidation towards actually twisting God's word and then turns around and twists God's word. So without any further ado, here's Rick Warren. And the Daniel Plan is the, the first habit is health. Here we go. Healthy food. Sorry. Here we go. Saddleback. Hello, Saddleback. I've been waiting all day to introduce this team to my favorite service. So, you guys, this is my favorite service. And you're here today. Uh, I love you guys. Yeah. I want to welcome you, and I want to welcome everybody online, and I want to welcome other churches that are joining us for the launch of the Daniel Plan 2.0. Now, here at Saddleback, every year we choose one word that is going to be our theme for the whole next year. And this year, we've chosen for our theme the word transformed, because we're going to work all year on transforming our lives and letting God transform our lives in the key areas of life, all the changes that you've always wanted to make in your life, but either you were unable to make or you were unable to sustain. In two weeks, we start the most important spiritual growth campaign in the history of Saddleback Church. It's called 50 Days of Transformation. We're going to study uh, in our small groups. We're going to have 50 daily devotions. We're going to have weekend services. Everything for 50 days or seven weeks will be geared toward making the changes in your life that you've always wanted to make, the transformation. It, it is going to change your life. We're going to look at simplifying and balancing and uh, strengthening the seven key areas of your life. Spiritual health relational health, emotional health, physical health, mental health, financial health, and vocational health, or your job and your career. Now, you'd figure that with the church, we'd start with your spiritual health. But actually, we're going to start this weekend with your physical health. And the reason why is we're going to start at a more baser biological level in your life. Here's why. I've been a pastor here at Saddleback Church for over 30 years. I've talked to tens of thousands of people about change in their lives, and I've learned this. A lot of people have the desire to change, have the, uh, the, 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 the will to change, but they don't have the energy to change. I can't tell you how many people I've said, talked to who said, you know, Rick, I really would like to change my life. I'd like to work on that dream that I've always wanted to work on. I'd like to work on that job that I've always wanted to work on. I'd like to work on my relationships, my friendships, my marriage. But you know what? I, I go to school or I go to work all day. I come home, I'm wiped out. I lay down on the couch and I veg out in front of the TV. Anybody relate to this? I have the desire to change, but I don't have the energy to change. And so I got to thinking that if we could just get you feeling better, if we could get your energy level up, then we could work on some other key areas like your finances and your relationships and your relationship to God. Does that make sense? So we're actually going to work on the physical part of your body uh, before you can work on anything else. Now, let me introduce our team of experts and then tell you where we're going this weekend. 
Dr. Daniel Amen down here on the end is a world renowned. Just a question. Um, where in the Bible does it talk about the importance of physical fitness? And can you give me examples of where Jesus taught the importance of, you know, eating healthy and exercising and things like that? I'm not saying that it's not important. It's just that this doesn't seem to be a Christian priority. What I mean by that is this, is that just because something is true doesn't mean that it's what's supposed to be taught from a pulpit. For instance, E equals MC squares, so, uh, you know, the, the Einstein's law of relativity. That's true. But giving a lecture on Einstein's theory of relativity from the pulpit is not what a Christian pastor is to be focusing on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because something is true doesn't mean that that's what it's supposed to be preached during a sermon. The job of a pastor is to preach the word. Psychiatrist, author of 37 books on the brain. Number one Times, New York Times bestseller, has done 85,000 brain scans. He's the world authority on brain scans. Would you give a warm welcome to Dr. Daniel Amen? Next to Dr. Amen is uh, Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson is a professional strength and fitness coaching uh, uh, trainer. He's worked with a lot of different pro teams, college teams for 11 years. He was the strength and uh, uh, fitness uh, trainer for the Nebraska Cornhuskers football team. He used to be for the, uh, the, the same position for the California Angels. He now works with fat pastors. He's my personal trainer. He is the founder of Solid Rock Workouts. He's the founder of Pump and Praise and Walk and Worship here at Saddleback Church. Give a warm welcome to uh, Tom Wilson. (laughs) Dr. Mark Hyman is the world's authority on metabolism, on insulin, on uh, what we call diabetes, the, the, the health crisis that's going on. He has written over 10 books on health and on uh, insulin and on metabolism. He's a world's authority on that. He is a doctor to U.S. presidents, to CEOs, to kings. He's a world-renowned. Both he and Dr. Amen have had PBS specials. Give a warm welcome to Dr. Mark Hyman. <clears throat> Dee Eastman is a a professional uh, fitness expert who for the last three years has been the director of the Daniel Planet Saddleback Church. So we we stole her. Now remember, this is sermon time at Saddleback. Now for those of you who are new to Saddleback, let me give you a little bit background of Saddleback or or Daniel Plan 1.0 before we come to the new version that we're launching uh, today. A few years ago, I was doing a baptism, and I baptized on one day 850 people. That's a lot of weight. And when you lift 850 people, lower them into the water, and bring them back out, it was over 150,000 pounds, which is why I'm so buff. All right? Now, as I was baptizing these people, a thought went through my mind. I admit, as your pastor, it wasn't a very spiritual thought. It was, good night, we're all overweight. Everybody's fat. That was the thought that went through my mind. Everybody's fat. But then my second thought was, but I'm fat. I'm a terrible example. And how can I help my members of the church get in shape if I'm so out of shape? 
And I knew that something had to change. That week during my quiet time, I read two verses in the Bible. I want to share them with you. One of them was in the book of Daniel. Now, this verse is totally out of context. It's not about weight loss. Okay, did you catch that? Out of context, not about weight loss. So Rick Warren is a guy who, on some level, actually understands what Bible twisting is. Keep that in mind as we continue. When I read this verse, I had to laugh knowing about my own condition. On the screen, it said this in Daniel 5, 27. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And I thought, man, that is a verse for me. Now, that verse in the Bible has nothing to do with weight loss. But I read it and I just thought, that's me. And I'm tipping the scales. And it's weird that, oh, that has nothing to do with weight loss. It has nothing to do with weight loss. I'm glad you're pointing that out. Um, But does the Daniel, does what happened in Daniel chapter 1 have anything to do with losing weight or eating healthy? Let's continue. The verse that I read that week was in the book of Psalms, and it said this, Psalm 119, verse 73. You made my body, Lord. Now give me the sense to heed your laws. Now think about this. God made your body. Jesus died for your body. The Holy Spirit lives in your body. Um, One day God's going to resurrect your body. And number five, God expects you to take care of your body. God is concerned about your physical health as he is your spiritual health. This is a spiritual issue. So the following Sunday, after seeing those verses and having the baptism experience, I stood up in front of all of the people, about 20,000 people at Saddleback one weekend, and I said, you guys... I need to repent. I need to do a little confession. And I'll just tell you, all my life, I said, I've had a pretty clean life. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't take drugs. But I love pasta. That's why they call me Pasta Rick. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I said, pasta is my drug of choice. And I said, Now, I've only gained two or three pounds a year, but I've been your pastor for 30 years. So I need to lose 90 pounds. You could have heard the air being sucked out of the church at that moment. 90 pounds. Holy guacamole. And so then I I, I just said, does anybody else want to join me on this quest to get in shape? Do you want to feel better? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? I figured maybe 200 people would sign up. 12,000 people signed up that day to say, I want to be a part of this plan. By the end of the week, it had grown to 15,000 people. I said, I got a problem. I got to come up with a plan now. I have no idea what I'm doing. And 15,000 people are depending on me for their health this next year. So I went and got three good friends, all nationally known, internationally known doctors, all number one times New York Times best-selling book authors. And I got Dr. Mehmet Oz, who's a, a heart specialist, Dr. Mark Hyman, who is a metabolism specialist, and Dr. Daniel Amen, who's a brain specialist, said, would you help me put together a plan? And they said, yes, for these first 15,000 people. Well, uh, we we put it all together real quick, and I'm happy to report that in the first year, those 15,000 people following the Daniel plan 
lost over 250,000 pounds. That's a quarter of a million pounds in this church, in this church. So that was not church growth, that was church decline. That was church shrinkage is what that was. But we were a whole lot healthier. Now, during that year and since that time, we've been studying these 15,000 people in the Daniel Plan 1.0. Again, just a reminder, this is sermon time. I wonder what's going to happen when we really get to God's Word. It's not going to be good. We learned all kinds of things that we didn't know. We thought, man, we got to put that in. We got to add that. We got to take that out, put that in, take that out, put that in. We got to revise it, improve it. For instance, one of the things we learned that people who are in small groups lost twice as much weight and lost it twice as fast as those who did it on their own. That's an important statistic. That if you do it with other people, you do it in a group, you're actually going to lose faster and you're going to lose more if you're trying to lose weight. So we had a wonderful, wonderful time. Now, some of you I know were a part of the Daniel Plan 1 like I was and you have a little guilt because you've started adding that weight back on. I am exhibit A, okay, of that. Now, let me, let me just be honest with you. And I gladly share my faults and weaknesses with you because I know it'll help you. Most of you know that this last year was the worst year of my life in many, many different ways. First, in January of this last year, uh, I had to be hospitalized for a major back problem. When I finally got out of the hospital, uh, I couldn't exercise for three months. And when I stopped exercising, guess what? I started putting the weight back on. And just as I started to exercise, my youngest son took his life. And you know the story of that. It was national news. And that death of my son sent me for a loop. And in that deep, deep grieving process, for the next six months, I didn't sleep for six months. For six months. Do you know what it does to your health when you don't sleep for six months? Okay, you, you, you start having all kinds of cravings. You eat all the wrong kinds of foods. You, you're not, I didn't want to exercise. I was just in a deep, deep period of grief. And then on top of that, the dear good people of Saddleback Church were bringing me casseroles every night. <laughs> Creamy, fatty, rich casseroles. Now, friends, thank you. I know you love me. Please don't ever bring me a casserole again. Okay, If you want to bring me healthy food, if you love your pastor, don't bring me junk food. Don't bring me pies and cakes and candies and cookies and all that. Please, don't bring them to me anymore because you're actually killing me, not helping me. <laughs> Get it? Good. All right. Good. Now, so anyway, I, 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 I had lost during Daniel Plan, I had lost 65 pounds. And then during the last year, when I was going through all of that grief and all of that pain, I added about 35 pounds back on. When I started coming out of the grief in October, I knew what to do. It wasn't rocket science. I'd written a book on it. And so I said, I'm just going to go back and do the Daniel plan again. And in the next month and a half, almost two months, I lost those 35 pounds again. So I'm now back on the path to getting to the 90-pound loss that, uh, that I'm headed toward. Now, actually, I, I committed to lose 90 pounds. If you figure I lost 65 and 35, I actually lost 100. But it doesn't count because it was losing the same pounds twice. So that doesn't count. 
But uh, I'm the first guy to prove that the Daniel plan works twice. Okay? So I'm telling you from personal experience. But relapse is part of recovery. And if you were in the Daniel plan 1.0 and you start gaining it back, Pope Rick says you are forgiven. All right? Pope Rick. Uh Uh-huh. It's a new day. It's a new year. It's a new year. All right? So guilt-free, we're ready to move forward. Now. Guilt-free without the forgiveness of sins. Right. Here's the question. Does God really care about your health? Does God really care about your physical health? Now, all of that was introduction. Now comes the segue to the Bible teaching portion of the sermon. Show you a couple verses. Pull out your message notes and look at these verses. The Bible says in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, John says this. John was one of the 12 disciples. He said, I pray that all is well with you and that your body is as healthy as I know your soul is. God says, I want your physical health to be as strong as your spiritual health. And by the way, God wants your spiritual health to be as strong as your physical health. Physical and spiritual are connected, and God cares about both. How do I keep myself physically healthy? By following the owner's manual. So the Bible is an owner's manual. Hmm. I don't think that's really what it's about. Bible is the owner's manual for life. This is the owner's manual that tells you the truth. When in doubt, consult your creator. He knows how you're made, and everything you need to know for healthy living in all seven key areas is found in this book. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Don't depend on your own wisdom. Instead, respect the Lord and refuse to do what's wrong. Then your body will be healthy and your bones will be strong. Now look. Notice how he's taking all of these verses out of context, stringing them together. But the, 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 the how do I put this in uh, unhealthy terms? The whipped cream on the, uh, on the cake is still coming. First again, first he says, don't depend on your own wisdom. If you think you know what's going to make you healthy, you're dead wrong. Because you don't. Because we've been brainwashed by the media to believe all the wrong things about health, about fitness, about food, and about a lot of other things. He says, don't depend on your own wisdom. Instead, respect the Lord. And how do you respect the Lord? By refusing to do what's wrong. When I- uh-huh. So just be obedient. This is law. No, go- no gospel here. Refuse to do what's wrong, I'm actually respecting the Lord. And he says the result is, then your body will be healthy and your bones will be strong. So when I refuse to eat the wrong foods, when I refuse to develop the same bad habits, when I refuse to not uh, uh, get the rest that I need, when I refuse to not exercise, when I do all the wrong things, then I'm going to be unhealthy. Uh, uh, but when, when, I, when I choose to do the right things... Then I'm going to be healthy. Now, circle the word wrong and circle the word strong. And I want you to write this down. I grow strong by refusing what's wrong. I I grow strong by refusing what's wrong. See, the owner's manual, the Bible is all about, you know, just be healthy. Strong by refusing what's wrong. Every time I refuse to do the wrong thing and choose to do the right thing, I grow stronger. 
Now, in the Bible, we see five health habits, and we're going to look at them this weekend. Five habits of healthy people. Mm -hmm. Five health habits of healthy people. Where can I go in the Bible to find these five health habits of healthy people? How much you want to bet it's in the book of Daniel? All five of these are found in the New Testament, the Old Testament hero named Daniel. Now, we call this book or this program, The Daniel Plan, it's named after a man in the Bible named Daniel who modeled all five of these habits. Hmm. I mean, he's making it sound like, I mean, Daniel is, you know, for centuries now, millennia, people have, you know, looked to the book of Daniel to see a model of a guy who's who's perfectly applying five healthy habits to his life and is, you know, the closest thing to a physical fitness trainer in the Bible. You know, Daniel, Dan, you know, he works over at God's gym, you know. Healthy people. Let me tell you the story of Daniel. I don't think you're going to tell this correctly. Several thousand years ago, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. So the king of Iraq went over to Israel and captured the entire country and took the entire nation of Israel over to Iraq and kept them in captivity for 70 years. It's called the Babylonian captivity. Yep. During those 70 years, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, said, look, since all these Jews are part of our empire now, we need to make some of them leaders. So he said, choose the best young men out there, the smartest, the, the most uh, attractive, the, the, the brightest, the most talented, and I'm going to personally mentor them. One of those young men who was chosen was a Jewish young man named Daniel. And his three friends also got chosen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, one of the perks of being mentored by King Nebuchadnezzar is that you got to eat at the king's table, which meant you got to eat all of his dainties and pastries and rich cream sauces and all of the... the Whoa, stop right there. Really? Nebuchadnezzar's table was all about rich cream sauces and dainties and sugary foods and things like that? No, it wasn't. That's not what the scriptures say. Let's take a look at the story. Daniel chapter 1. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the uh, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with what uh, the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not 
defile himself. Now, what's the rub? Is it the fact that there's rich cream sauces and dainties and sugary treats and Twinkies and things like that on the king's table? No. Daniel is a, um, he's, well, a Jew. And uh, he is under the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant includes dietary laws, which means that as uh, under the Mosaic Covenant, he does not have the freedom to eat unclean animals. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have the ability to eat bacon and things like that. And so what do you think is on the king's table? Answer, unclean animals and their meat and their flesh. And if Daniel were to eat that, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would defile themselves, and they would sin against God and break the covenant. And what's the reason why Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in captivity in Babylon? Because of Israel's refusal to keep the covenant. So God basically exercised the punishment clauses of the covenant and you know, sent them into captivity. So you think Daniel's going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. We can just go ahead and eat. We don't have to eat kosher. That's not at all. He's not going to do that. So this isn't about, this is not about healthy eating. This is about kosher eating. And Rick Warren knows this. And as you listen to this, you're going to hear him actually say something that reveals that he knows what this text is really about. Just like earlier, that verse that he you know quoted, you've been weighed and found wanting from Daniel chapter five. He said, oh, that's not about weight loss. Well, Rick Warren knows this isn't about eating healthy. He knows that for sure. Yet he's twisting God's word here. Let me read the rest of the story though. Okay. So God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chiefs of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he, why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter. That's right. The text says fatter. And they were fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and they were to drink uh, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Yeah. So this is not a story about, oh yeah, you know, uh Daniel, you know, he's he's studying, you know, nutrition from God's point of view and you know, and he and his buddies, you know, they they go to the gym every day, they're on the treadmill and and they don't want to eat pastries and processed foods. That's not what's going on at all. You know, but Rick Warren, he knows that that's not what's going on at all. And yet he continues to twist God's word. Let's see what he does with this now. Uh, dining of the kingdom and all of the junk food that the king ate. Junk food. So the king was into junk food, Twinkies and cakes and pastries and, st- and you know, rich cream sauces and stuff like that. It's funny the text doesn't mention any of that. Daniel, being a righteous man, said, wait a minute, I'm Jewish. I'm kosher. I'm not going to eat that. Yeah, that's right. He's kosher. That's the issue. It's not about unhealthy food. It's about kosher. God's told me not to eat it. 
So he went to the king and he said, King, let's have a contest. You eat your junk food, and me and my friends, we're going to eat God's food. We're going to eat good food. We're going to eat healthy, natural, whole, real food. Yeah, right. This is not a matter of you know, processed food and Pizza Hut and fast food versus whole food markets. I mean, seriously, Rick. Then we'll see at the end of the contest who's more attractive, who's got more energy, who's stronger, and who's healthier. At the end of the contest, it was no contest. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, you have to admit it. These guys look better. They're healthier. They're stronger. You guys win. We're going to eat your way. Mm-hmm. That's funny. The text doesn't say that either. It doesn't say anything about King Nebuchadnezzar saying, oh, yeah, you guys, ha- you won the contest hand down, hands down. We're all going to eat from Whole Foods Market now. Yeah. Daniel plan. The book of Daniel is not a dietary book. It, that's not what it's about at all. And uh, Rick Warren knows that. But then again, um, you know, nothing should stand in the way of Rick Warren being able to sell many, many, many books, you know, in the form of the Daniel plan. Of course, there's all the seeker driven churches out there, you know, jumping on the Daniel plan as if the book of Daniel really teaches, you know, these five healthy principles that you're supposed to apply, including healthy, you know, eating and things like that. And that's not what the book teaches at all. This is blasphemy. This is Bible twisting. Rick Warren knows that he's twisting God's word, and he knows what twisting God's word means and ripping verses out of context and making him say things that they don't say. And yet, despite the fact he knows that, that never stops him from not doing it. That is a huge problem. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to head down to Planet Shakers and uh, listen to a a sermon about the honor key. Yeah, the key of honor thing. Yeah, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run!
never fear nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. It's been a while since we've done a Planet Shakers uh, sermon. I would argue probably long overdue for a sermon review for them. But let's do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via planet shakers in melbourne australia russell evans presiding the name of the sermon is entitled the honor key yeah honor a o h o n <laughs> they spell it h o n o u r honor that's kind of the uh, the brit spelling of it Apparently, if you have honor, you can just unlock all kinds of God's blessings in your life. Yeah, we're going to test that out because there's a lot of folks out there nowadays teaching that apparently if you just honor, you know, your seeker-driven leader and things like that, that it's the key that unlocks God's blessings and then, you know, you're going to be showered with all kinds of material uh, perks, if you would, if you just honor people correctly. So let me go ahead and kill the music, and without any further ado, here is Russell Evans and the sermon entitled The Honor Key. Here we go. Well, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? So what's heaven like? There's no lack, there's health, there's freedom, there's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's praise, there's you. Now, this is interesting. This is a, you know, this is a classic twist of, uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So what's heaven like? Well, you know, you, then you just speculate what heaven's like. Uh-huh. And then you just say, well, see, that's what God wants you to have here. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. This is not a sound hermeneutic, by the way. This is twisting of God's word. Unity, there's worship. So all those things God wants to release on heaven, release on earth from heaven. But what releases that? How do you get that here? How do you unlock Yeah, how on earth can you get all that here? I mean, what do I need to do to release that? Yeah, wow. Unlock that. How do you see that happen? You, you see it through honor. So let's talk about what honor is. Ha, um, uh, what verse again says that you see all of that stuff being released by honor? Yeah, you skipped that part. I, I, I didn't hear the verse. Uh, can you give me the passage I could, so I can look it up in my Bible again, please? You know, I, I say in that uh, intro video, imagine if I gave you a key that would release heaven on earth to see your family, finances, friendships blessed. See, this honor, this whole thing about honor actually affects every area of your life. A life full of miracles, healings, and breakthroughs to see generational blessing, to release and receive heavenly inheritance. The key for every need and situation in your life, this key is what unlocks 
And actually it's the fabric or the foundation or the environment or the atmosphere of heaven. Yeah, you're talking pretty fast there. Can you slow down and open up a Bible and actually show me where it says honor releases all this stuff from heaven to earth, please? So if it's a fabric, the foundation and the environment of heaven, the way to release heaven on earth is to have it in your life. The word honor comes from the thought, well, what is that the culture of the kingdom is the king's way of doing things. It's the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds to me like he's spinning his own theology. You know what I'm saying here? It's dominion. So the king, see, God is love. Yes, he is love. So out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He is. But he, he doesn't have love. He is love. Yeah, uh-huh. So when you meet God, you experience love. Oh, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. God is peace. He doesn't have peace. He is peace. So when you experience God, you experience peace. As he is love and as he is peace, he's also honor. He, everything about him is honor. What is the word honor? Yeah, you keep saying that, but I, you know, you keep throwing in the word honor, but again, this is like an extrapolation of uh, of something that you've just put forward, you know, and you're not actually exegeting a biblical text. What does that word mean? It means to esteem, it means to prize, it means to give weight to. It means Yeah, and going to the dictionary here isn't going to help you. I mean, you put out an assertion and then you extrapolate it off the assertion. And none of these things are actually found in the Bible. If, the, if honor is the way to release things out of heaven and make them come to earth, don't you think there would be just a clear passage in the Bible that says that? You know, it makes sense to me. It's to revere. It, it, it comes from when they used to weigh money. You know, we got paper money now, but they used to have coins. And the heavier the coin was or heavy, heavier the, the bag of coins were, the more value it had, the more weight it had, the more value it had. So honor is to value or give weight to or to prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, uh, <laughs> which Greek word are you giving us the translation of? Oh, yeah, that's right, you're not. You just, you just went to an English dictionary and what honor means. Hmm. So how do you live a life of honor? You value. You give weight to you prize. And many times we value and prize and give weight to uh, things that we like personally. But God never said to honor your bosses if you like them or if they treat you well. Doesn't say if your parents are good, then you honor them. No, no, the Bible says to honor your parents. Doesn't say, doesn't put conditions on it. So you give value, you give weight to, you get... See, we, we many times teach, have been taught, that honor is earned. No, it's not. Respect is earned. Honor is appointed. <laughs> this isn't biblical teaching. I, I don't know what this is, like stream of consciousness assertions and extrapolations off the assertions kind of preaching. But he's not actually teaching anything that the Bible really even says. This is weird. So if God puts someone in your life, it comes there for you to honor them. Honor, what you honor is what you give weight to. So what do you get, what are we giving weight to in your life? Uh, it was amazing. Um, 
I teach this, so I tell the story how God called me to preach to the world. When I was 15, God spoke to me through prophetic words that God's called you to be a spokesman to the nations. Yeah, uh, no, he didn't. Um, yeah, so you're a prophet, which means that what you're telling me I can't actually challenge, you know, because it's coming directly from God, and to challenge a word of God, well, that would be sin for me, right? So I can't challenge you, Russell. Yeah, you're not a true prophet. You are a false prophet. We continue. And uh, the week after I, I got up to speak publicly and made a fool of myself um, and uh, decided I'd never speak again in public. I was filled with insecurity. When I was 17, I had an English teacher who I've told you, uh, some of you would know this, that said I can't communicate. Um, and, uh, you know, I, at times I'd paid that out and gone, well, my English teacher said I couldn't communicate, but I've written a book. We'll see. I've spoken to thousands and millions of people. You know, the enemy tries to say one thing, but God says something else. And, and it was actually amazing that my, my mum, when she passed away, left all this. My, my dad's going through a cleaning up the house since my mum's passed away. And uh, he, he, I went to Adelaide last week and he handed me this box and he said, oh, here's all your school reports in. I'm like, who keeps their kids' school reports? And pictures. And uh, one thing I did discover, my birth certificate. I've been looking at it for years and wondering if I was actually born. <laughs> and my daughter, Amy, started going through my reports. <laughs> started reading my school reports. Now this, she pulls out, is called a school leavers report. Now this is what they write about you when you're leaving, so you hand to employers. This is back in the day. I decided to leave school halfway through year 12 um, because I got three interviews in the, uh, I applied for three jobs and I don't even know how I got the jobs. I must have done well in the tests. And she hands me, she starts reading this. And she goes, oh, Dad, that's not good. <laughs> and this is what my English teacher wrote in my school leavers report. Russell has difficulty in expressing himself simply and clearly in writing, and unfortunately, he has not made a sufficient effort to overcome these weaknesses. <laughs> so you imagine going up to a future employee and said, uh, here's my school report. Who's he preaching about? Himself. And notice he's correctly telling, apparently, you know, giving us correct, accurate details supposedly about his own life. He's not giving us anything accurately correct about what God's Word says. That is a problem, a big one. And I've, I've taught how that your promises will be attacked. And yes, they were. But it, when I was in the shower this morning, as I, was, I thought, I'm going to bring this to church and show what God can do. Right? How situation can say, can't communicate, but God says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That, that I might have messed up in the area of honor as a kid in school, but God says, now you've honored, I'm releasing your, my word through you. Now that you've honored, I'm releasing my word through you. So you apparently, honor is, uh, is the uh, thing that causes you to earn God's blessing. You do your honor thing, right? And then you earn the blessing from God. 
Yeah, the Bible doesn't teach this at all. In fact, this is very much contrary to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. Right? So I, I used to have an attitude with this teacher. And as I was in the shower this morning, the Lord said, your teacher might have been bad, but you didn't honor her. Mm-hmm. So more direct revelation. As your teacher. I went, what do you mean, Lord? That doesn't sound too good. He said, if honor is to value or to prize or give weight to, when she was teaching you in English, did you give value? Notice he said, he said, that would be God said. So this is a direct revelation through the prophet Russell Evans that, you know, and if you, yeah, listen, you better start applying this because these are words taught by God directly to him. And if you don't obey them, you're disobeying God to her teaching did you give weight to her teaching did you give prize to her teaching because I'm sure if you did her response to you would have been different and even if it wasn't different your attitude would have been different and you would have received in any environment see what happened with my English teacher I got an older brother his name's Ashley and uh, he's four years older and he's, he's quite uh, articulate and intelligent with words He's a great reader. And uh, he, he's, he was four years before me with the same English teacher. And this English teacher, my brother didn't try. He was, you know, basically all through school, we just hardly tried. And, and then I got into year 11 and 12 and I discovered <laughs> I should have developed some study techniques. Um, and so my brother is in year 12 and the English teacher gets up in front of the class and says, Ashley Evans, this is useless, this is pathetic, this is hopeless, and basically belittled him to motivate him to get good marks. So he decided, his personality is like, you tell me you can't do something, I'll prove you wrong. So what he did was, he said, all right, I'm going to become the best English student I can be just to prove you wrong. He got 96%. So I come along four years later. My personality is, you say to me, you can't do it. Back then I'd go, yeah, you're right. Because I'm a lover, not a fighter. Right? And so she thinks, lazy older brother, lazy younger brother, let's do the same technique gets up, this is pathetic Evans, this is useless Evans, this is hopeless, thinking that that would motivate me to get 96%, it actually demotivated me and I gave up. It was a wrong response, but that's what I did. In other words, I stopped valuing my English teacher. So as a result, there was a breakdown in how the thing could function. We have a pilot in our church. He's a first officer with a with a um, uh, airline that sacking a lot of people lately and uh, firing them. And he he's there. And he was telling me the other day that there's these captains. Some captains are pretty grumpy. And he and he says, you know, some captains people just don't like flying with. And he goes, to be honest, I don't really like flying with them either. But the Lord told me to honour them. 
And so what he would do is he would value them, even though they were grumpy. How, how are you today, Captain? Uh, what can I do to help you today? He didn't get put off by that. He decided he'd bring kingdom and bring honor. Because once you become part of God's kingdom, you have honor in you. So instead of looking for honor, you want to give honor. So he decides to make the, the cockpit at the front of the plane a place of honor. So he's honoring the captains. So much so that the captains now turn to him and say, we need you to train all the other first officers on how to honor and treat the captain. Just a note, um, are you hearing anything from God's word for real? This, is, this isn't a s- biblical sermon. He's not exegeting through a passage of God's word. He's just stream of consciousness talking about whatever's coming to his mind. He's preaching about himself, really. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19 tells us. If he were really a prophet, don't you think he'd be telling us about Jesus? That's who the prophets of old told us about. But not Russell Evans. No, no, we're not hearing about Jesus at all. What changed the atmosphere? Value giving weight to. Instead of getting offended, like I did as an English, to my English teacher, instead of giving up, he decided that he would honor. What if I had honored my English teacher when I was growing up? I would have had good English results. Hmm. Because the devil doesn't want you to live a life that honors. Give weight to. Yeah, the devil's all about stopping you from honoring. Yeah, right. Give value to. See, what honor, you know, we talked about God is honor. Well, let's look how, how heaven operates. How, how, if God is honor and heaven's about honor and, and it's the atmosphere and the environment of honor, see, it, because Jesus constantly mentioned about honor, he said, you know, they did not honor me in my hometown. He couldn't do a mighty work. He, so he, he's giving you a picture and giving us a picture of saying, actually to access the miracles and breakthroughs of heaven actually comes through honor. Yeah, uh, you're not handling that passage correctly at all. Jesus said a prophet is not honored in his hometown. The reason he couldn't do any miracles is because of their unbelief. Doesn't come from what your situation is. It comes from your environment. So in his hometown, they did not honor him. And here's the deal, what happens many times is people get familiar and familiarity stops honor. Instead of familiarity should actually bring us closer, not push us further apart. I get tired of going to funerals and hearing how great someone was when people never told them that. By the way, they can't hear you when they're dead. That was so amazing. I wish I told them more. Well, you have an opportunity to. To value. To esteem. I, 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 I want to encourage you all. Let the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart be pleasing to God. So let there be an environment of honor over your life. That, that's why, by the way. Yeah, create an environment of honor. Yeah, that's going to do something. I mean... Th- 
What is this? That's why I constantly talk about careful what your words are. It's got nothing to do with, got nothing to do with what people criticize you about. No, it's got everything to do with the environment of honor around your life. Because where there's an environment of honor, there's value, there's weight. And what happens is miracles and multiplication and kingdom. See, that's why your heart, our heart, because the Bible says, not only should we honor with our words, but the Bible says, sometimes people honor with their words, but their hearts are far from them like the Pharisees. So what is honor? Honor is a value from the heart. I have people at times speak to me and say, that's awesome. And then they go away and criticize. How does that happen? Because it's a heart issue. And so this whole thing of honor, you know, uh, you hear the apostle Paul say, I pray that you'd be one mind. In an environment or culture that teach you to be independent, self-reliant, that is so against the thinking of society is to be one mind. But it's so of the kingdom. It doesn't say to be one expression, it says to be one mind. Kingdom-minded. So, kingdom, let's look how heaven works. We got the Father... He's seated on the throne. We got the son. He's next to him, interceding on our behalf. He walked the earth to demonstrate how to be one mind with the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit empowering us to change our world. So you got those three, three in one. They all. The Holy Spirit empowering us to change our world? What? think the same, they all think kingdom, they all think the way of the kingdom, they all come under the authority of the Father, right? But they express differently. So thinking the same is not about expressing the same, it's about being one mind but different expressions. A kingdom, the kingdom of God is expressed differently through the gifts God has given us, but it's with the same mindset. That's why Jesus, when he taught, you to, taught us to pray, starts with our Father who art in heaven, doesn't start with our problem here on earth. Did you go to seminary? I mean, do you, have, you, have you passed a Hermeneutics 101 course? I mean, you're showing no signs of anybody who is, even has a lucid concept of what the Bible is about at all. This is just one absurdity after another, strung together into something that's supposedly a sermon. Our father, by the way, it doesn't start with my father. My, because he, it's giving you a picture of honor. Honor isn't about you, my, you, me, myself, and I. It's about our, he's our dad. He's not just my dad, he's our dad. And when you start worshiping the Father in spirit and truth, see, real worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. What is that? The spirit of honor. Hmm. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So here we're honoring him in our worship. Hmm. See, God has called us to honor God, right? So, but also one another. We only worship God. We work, you know, honor should never turn into worship of people. By the way, if people's opinion value um, more valuable than the truth of God, 
you worship people. Because if people... Are you paying those people in your audience to sit there and go, oh, that's good, that's good, because this is nonsense. Opinions of you is more important than God? That shows what's more important to you. Shows to me what you value more. Just, just helping us. Right. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're three in one. They think the same, but they express differently. That's where there is a culture or an environment or an atmosphere of heaven is where they, we honor each other through the same thinking about the kingdom, but express it through our different gifts. Hmm. That's kingdom. See, I, I hear people say, well, where does honor start? Where, where does honor start? Does it start with the son? No, actually, it started with the father. The father sent the son to die for us. And we then honor him back and receive the son who then points us to the father. (laughs) Could you diagram that for me? What are you talking about? So honor started with the father. But once you receive the son and the father into your life, honor starts with you. Yeah, it just makes me wonder if uh, Australia is one of those um, places where pot smoking is legal. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Are you just making this up? Because hmm. I see people say this. I honored them, but they didn't honor me back. So now I'm not honoring them. I'm not valuing them. That's not honor. That's manipulation. Because you're doing something to get something in return. Honor doesn't look for anything in return. Honor just values. Well, honor's not about style. See, so so many times it's about, we think, well, it's this style. I like that style. You know, God's created the rainbow. He hasn't created one color. He hasn't created one way of doing things. Yeah, so he's into style. He loves style, but he's into every style. So, so many times we honor style. Oh, I like that, and I don't like that, and I like that. that, that, that that's, that's not honor, that's preference. Honor has conviction. This honor has preference. Hmm, just a little thought. I love the prodigal story. Well, it shouldn't be called the prodigal story. It actually should be called the father's story. In Luke chapter 15, when the son goes away and, and, and he, he's, he ruins his, his inheritance and then he decides to come back and, and he thinks, even the servants in my father's house are looked after better. So he goes from this arrogant, it's about me, to even the servants in my father's Now notice he's not actually preaching the story. In his particular case, I am not confident that he's capable of summarizing it correctly because he's shown no aptitude to rightly handle God's word at all. 
doctor's house. You know, I'm going to come back and honour my father. And here is such the father's thoughts about us because the father is always honouring us. You, you don't even realise sometimes how much he's honouring you. He thinks about you all the time. He's, he's plotting ways of how to bless you. He's plotting ways of... Really, God's plotting ways to bless me. Oh, wow, that's... That's amazing. How to release you into your inheritance. He's thinking ways of how. He's going, Holy Spirit, there might be someone at a club and they're backslidden and the Holy Spirit sends somebody along who's another backslidden person and they start talking to each other and they all of a sudden discover they're backslidden Christians and then they start talking about God in the middle of a nightclub and, and the, and the, the music and boom, 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 and they're talking, yeah, I was, I'm away from God. They have a few drinks. They start crying. And all of a sudden there's conviction happening. Why? Because the Father's thinking about you all the time. He's thinking of ways how to bless you. He's thinking of ways how to prosper you. He's thinking of ways how to release goodness in you. Yeah, this is demonic, and this is totally not what God's Word teaches at all. See, what naysayers do is pharisaical. They point out all the wrong. That's the devil's work. Yeah, and twisting God's word and pointing out that it's that's the devil's work is actually... Oh, man, you, you get what I'm saying. Wow, I am very frustrated with the sermon at the moment. I mean, this guy is not making any sense at all. He loves pointing out your weaknesses. He loves... That's religion. He loves pointing, well, the church should be like this, or that Christian should be like that, or the boss should be like that, or this should be like that, and that should be like that. If you have a that should be like that sort of mindset, let me suggest to you, you've lost value, weight, and prize. And which biblical text are you getting this from, or are you just making this up? Hmm. See, the reason I, I teach honor is not get, to get people to do what I want because that would be called manipulation. The reason I teach honor because I actually believe it is the fabric of heaven. Value to prize to give weight to. Hmm. Father's looking. He's searching. Son comes home. Son goes, Father, I've sinned against you. What, what, what was he doing? He was humbling himself to the Father. He was saying, I've messed up what he was doing. He's saying, I honor you. You're actually my dad. And the Father doesn't sit there and say, you did that wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. That's religion. That wrong, that wrong, that wrong. No, this is what, this is what kingdom is. Get the fatted calf ready. Get the ring Get the coat, get the shoes, because I value, I prize, I give weight to my son so much that I, he's come and humbled himself and honored the father's house. Now I want to release everything I can on him. He doesn't sit back and cross his arms. And so apparently the prodigal earned the fatted calf by honoring his father. Text doesn't say that, nor does it imply that. You did that wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong. And so many times religious, pharisaical spirits get into the church. And we love pointing out that wrong, that wrong, that wrong, that wrong, that wrong. 
By the way, in the culture of honor. And notice apparently he's above this while he's pointing out what's wrong in the church. Isn't that weird? He's pointing out what's wrong. He's dishonoring people while claiming that they're dishonoring. Weird how that works, isn't it? In environment of honor, correction isn't something that's, ooh, it's actually embraced. I was with Martin Steele, who uh, was here last Sunday, and he came out to supper with Sam and I and uh, Pastor Neil and Leonie, and we were having supper. And, and uh, that whole concept of healing the waters of the city came from when I heard him preach on it in Malaysia, and the Lord said, that's what I want you to do. That, that's what I want to... And the Lord said, the word of the Lord came to Russell Evans and said, that's what I want you to do. No, he's not hearing from God. Release into planet shakers. That's what you're doing, but I want to release it in a greater way. And so that's what God spoke to me about this year. Pastor Martin and I were sitting over supper talking about kingdom and church and, and how the kingdom works and, and all that. And he, and he put out you know, his computer and he's showing me all these diagrams and showing me these levels and how it all works. And, and I'm sitting there going, my goodness, this is unbelievable. And in actual fact, Pastor Martin, you know, we've all heard Bill Johnson talk about healing um, Geneva. Well, that's all Pastor Martin's material. He's the one who gave that to Bill Johnson. And, and so Pastor Martin is there and he's, and he's doing all this and I'm sitting there, well, how do, what do you think? How what do you think of that? What is that? Now, let's put this in context. Planet Shaker's church is five times as big as his. Planet Shaker's influence around the world is far greater than his. So if you look through a worldly mindset, I should be teaching him. That's a worldly mindset. If you look through a hierarchical mindset, I know more. But I went, that is unbelievable. Teach me more. Sure is full of himself, isn't he? Help me more. I want to learn more. In fact, we got a combined leaders meeting this Wednesday night, which I, I wanted to speak at because I've got so much to say. And, 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 and I went, no, 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 we got to get you in, fly you in from New Zealand. you got to speak to our church and our leaders about this. We, we want to learn more because you've got some revelation on this that we've never seen before. We, we, we've got parts of revelation of it, but what you've got is absolutely incredible. So could you please come? And, and so we're flying him in. What is that? That's a spirit of honor. I value what you have, so I want to put weight to it and receive from it. As soon as, and so the father's there, and he says, come on, let's get the party going. The, the, the brother goes, what's all the music about? Do you think, the brother didn't leave. The brother didn't waste his inheritance, but the brother didn't understand honor. The father comes out because the brother won't come in. Talk about attitude. A lot of people, yes, yes, I, I'm part of the family, but I'm going to stay out and just not give my heart to everything. I'll just serve. <laughs> father comes out and says, hey, brother, um, son, hey, son, uh, your brother's home. Awesome, Hey. Your son of yours, he wasted his inheritance. He's this, he's that. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's your brother. We should be happy he's home, don't you think? Oh, no, I'm not coming in. Please. He, he, he says, come in. Please, would you come in? He, and then he says, everything I have is yours. What are you talking about? See, this brother didn't access the father's everything the father had because he didn't honor, didn't value, didn't give weight to. Oh, he served it. 
but he didn't son it, valued it. Because a servant will do what they're told, a son will value. That's different. Do you know at all what he's talking about? I mean, I'm trying to track here, and it's just not working. I mean, this is utter nonsense. You know, assertion with speculation, with, you know, building off of that into this just stuff with all the people always clapping and saying, yeah, 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 every time he says something. It doesn't make any sense that they'd say anything positive because none of this makes any sense. He wouldn't come in. If he really honored the father, he'd be happy with what the father was happy with. Because this is what honor does. It opens the door to salvation and miracles. You can't get saved if you don't honor what Jesus did upon the cross. If you, if- So honor is what opens up salvations. Mm-hmm. I thought we're called to believe. Repent and believe the good news. Hmm. If we don't value what Jesus did upon the cross, then there'll be people later who will get up and give you an opportunity. But if Jesus died for the whole world, but when you don't honor what he did, value, give weight to, and then in response, honor him and give your life to him, you don't receive, you don't have exchange of faith, which then brings you into the kingdom. You st- what is his ordu salutis? I mean, this is ridiculous. I've never heard anything like this. Stand at the door. You might know that he died for you, but until you honor what he did, you cannot access the key to step into what he's done. Uh-huh. What verse says that? Yeah, not one. So honor is the key that opens up salvation. Hmm. It's the key that opens up miracles. So here, let's, context for church, okay? Let's do context for church because it's a good illustration of how to explain it. You can either come into church and say, let's see what they got to say today. Or you can come and say, I honor and value that these people have spent time with the Lord. And whoever gets up, whether it's, you know, me or, you know, Timbuktu, I don't know. Who's that? I don't know. Anyway, we honor but it, I remember a few years ago, Glenn Berteau came and spoke in our church and he spoke on this thing. Devil, your request has been denied when he, he had almost died of a heart attack and, uh, and he was in hospital and he decided that his life was to be sold out even more for the cause of the kingdom. And he said, devil, your request has been denied. In our service, there was a, a family and that week the mother was reversing her, her van, her big van, out of the, out of the um, driveway and her two-year-old daughter, two, three-year-old daughter was in the driveway and actually ran over the two to three-year-old daughter. When a big van rolls over, drives over a small little kid, you, you're going to totally expect broken bones, internal injuries or death. They run out and she's lifeless. They pick her up, she picks her up and, and she starts just praying. The father, husband runs out 
and he puts his hand on the little girl and it's like electricity goes through his hand and this lifeless little girl comes alive and they're like, wow, let's take her to hospital. They rush her to hospital and the doctors say, you know, with, a, with something like this, it's sure to be broken bones or internal, in, internal injuries and, and, and so we're going to have to keep her overnight. So they go into the waiting room and there they are and they're saying, devil, your request has been denied. Devil, your request has been denied. Devil, your request has been denied. What they'd heard that Sunday, they gave value to, they honored, they put weight to. Devil, your request has been denied. You see. And supposedly a miracle story just based upon somebody saying, Devil, your request has been denied. I mean, wow. I mean, what this has to do with honor or what any of this has to do with sound biblical teaching, I have no clue. I mean, this is um, bizarre. It makes, I mean, this sounds more like a cult to me than a church. Every time you come and honor his word, devil, your request has been denied over my finance. Devil, your request has been denied over my family. Devil, your request has been denied over my future. Your request has been denied. You have no right. You have no authority. What happened was the doctor sat the parents down the next day and they said, we can't explain this. We, we don't know or understand it. but she has no broken bones. She has no internal injuries. She only has a few scratches. Why? Because on Sunday, the word was declared. On Thursday, the word was agreed. Honor. Yeah, see, I mean, because of honor, they earned a miracle. Hmm. This is not Christian theology. See, if I had honored my English teacher, I would have received what she had. Too many times we blame all this and that and that and that and that. And people hurt you. Welcome to the world. Things go wrong. Welcome to the world. And you have a choice because what you honor is what you walk towards. You know, if, you, if it's about style, Jesus' style offended a lot of people. When the nobleman came to Jesus in John chapter 4, he says, and he says, could you come and heal my son, come to my house? And Jesus said, would you not believe in me unless you see a sign and wonder? That's called offensive. Stylistically, that's not seeker-friendly. What does a man do? Does he get an attitude? What does he do? He humbled himself and said, please, Lord. See, what did he do? That word humble, that word he begged, but it's actually the word humble, actually is the same word as prayer. He put himself in a position to say, you are more powerful than I. I don't know that you're God. I just know that God's in you. And, And so I humble myself before you. You see, what is prayer? Prayer is honoring of God. You are all powerful. You are all awesome. You are almighty. You're all conquering. You're all, uh, there's no lack in you. There's healing. There's breakthrough. And as you pray, you humble yourself, honor him, and you receive what he has. A Christian that does not pray is a Christian that thinks they're God. You know why? Because if you don't pray, you show that you don't actually think you need God. Well, I'm okay. God just wants to look after me. Yeah, he does. But he wants you to rely on him. Humble yourself. 
Amazing. You can come to this church and so many miracles, so many healings, so many breakthroughs, so many touches are happening. People, I remember one time, <laughs> I'm a, I was a, at my dad's church and there was this dude that used to lead worship. And uh, he was an older guy. And I always knew what was going to be in his song list. It would be one song every time. It's a go-to song. It's called How Great Thou Art. And he, I'm not talking about for two or three weeks or six months. I'm talking about two or three years. How Great Thou Art was every time he led worship. And I, honestly, I'm like, I've heard that before. And I said to my dad, Dad, don't get him to lead. He sings the same song every week. The Bible says in Psalms, sing to him a new song. <laughs> Can we have a... And he's not anointed dad. He goes, how do you know? I have lots of people who say he's anointed. So the next Sunday, he's leading again. My dad hasn't listened to me. And I'm in worship. I've got my hands in my pocket. And he's, how great thou art. I'm like, oh my goodness. God, where are you? Could you do something about this? And I'm complaining to God. There's no anointing here. There's no presence here. And I look down the aisle and there's a lady with tears running down her face. Oh Lord, you're awesome. I'm like, what's wrong with you? There's an older man and he's got his hands raised. And he's praising God. And I look through the church and people are lost in worship. And they're they're not thinking, there's no presence here. They're not thinking, sing a new song. They're thinking, you're awesome, God. And God says, the issue is you. I said, no, no, it's him. He needs to do, you're modern, God. You're, You're new. You don't stop. He stopped. He goes, no, your heart, that's the issue. I'm like, Lord, okay, I'm so sorry, Lord, that I have not honoured your presence and honoured your song and honoured the words and honoured who you are. I repent. (laughs) At that moment, I'm weeping. The presence of God is amazing. I'm like, oh, you're incredible. What was the difference? My heart wasn't valuing God. Even though the vehicle was old. Do you think that you value and honor God by twisting his word and preaching stories about yourself? This this dishonors God and blasphemes God. This is not a Christian sermon. This is something completely different. And not progressive. How can one person receive and another person not? It's got everything to do with honor. 
after the service I was signing some books and I did that last service and I was so blessed at how many people come up and said in this church I've been here for three, four years and, and what I've received is amazing, is incredible oh, I've been here for five years, I've been here for eight years I've been here for ten years, I've been here for one year I've been here for one month but just what God has done in my life is amazing and I'd sit there and, and, and I'm there because it's not about Sam or, or myself it's just that, that God is, we've decided to honour him and say Cue sappy music. Now that, by the way, the music is all about creating the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the stadium, you know, with the uh, cup holders and stuff, and uh, and is ready to do business with people. And you know, people are now going to make decisions to to honor and to obey the word of the Lord that came through the prophet Russell Evans. Say yes to him. See, I had a choice whose voice I listened to in my life. I was called to be a spokesman to the nations. That's what God prophesied. Uh huh. No, He didn't. But I was filled with insecurity. I was filled with inadequacy. I didn't think I could do anything great for God because my dad was famous and I was just his kid. And you know, I messed up with my English teacher. How could I do anything? How could I be anything? Yeah, he got bad marks in school. So, I mean, he's clearly a marked man who can never be used by God. This is ridiculous. 17 years of age in a meeting like this. Went to a camp that I didn't want to go to. Because I didn't want another prophecy. Because it put more pressure on me. Because I didn't think I could do what they said. Because I had this voice saying, you can't. But inside, had this other voice saying, you can. But the problem was, I gave more honor, more weight, more value to me, myself, and I. Just like you're doing right now. And the devil. And I sat paralyzed with the destiny standing before me. Then at an altar, I had an encounter where I decided to honor what God said about me, even though I hadn't honored my teacher. And the teacher had said, can't communicate. The millions of people that have been touched. The hundreds that get saved every week. Some of us just sit in, in here and, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. you kidding me? 150 people give their life to Jesus, once going to hell, and now going to heaven. And we didn't. At the end of the services, sometimes I see Christians running out, but while Christ, new Christians are running too. And I'm going, how does that work? Because if we really honored, valued, give way to, worship, we have the best worship in the world. Still, some people can sit and go, yep, wish I'd have good songs. Are you kidding me? Endless Praise is our biggest selling album ever. 
What's the issue? The issue has got nothing to do with the atmosphere. It's got everything to do with heart. And Sam and I are so honored and valued that you come and run with us to change the world. And why I will fight to the day I die for honor is because it is the essence of heaven. Said no verse in the Bible ever. And when value, prize, and merit is taken out, kingdom stops. That's where it stops. This church would not be what it is if it wasn't for you. Every week, people set up. Every week, people serve. Every week, people invite. Every week, people give. Every week. Why? Because of honor. Let's never be the big brother who sits outside and does the deal, but it's not hearts, not in the deal. To value. We got conference next week. Yeah, I've been to I've been to them before. They're good. Yeah, they're good. Good preaching. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I've been around. I, you know. Yeah, the preaching is anything like we just heard. That ain't preaching. I probably need a new conference now. The issue is not the conference. That'll be the most amazing meetings. The issue is becoming familiar with what is sacred. And there was nothing sacred about this sermon. Never seen a new Christian go, Four. So many things happening in a church. Oh, that I've never seen a new Christian go. So many things happening in this church. Never seen that. Never seen them do that. Go well. That, well, so many things. It's, oh, I wish there weren't so many things. No, I've seen new Christians go. Wow, this is amazing. I can go to that, that. 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 The options are incredible. What's the difference? Honor. What you give value to. What you give weight to. It's all got to do with the heart. How you hear me today is all to do with the heart. It's the key that will bless your family. No honor of your family. Yeah, again, no verses say any of this, but you just repeating it doesn't make it true. No honor in your family. It's the key that will bless your finances. No honor with your finances, no release of open heaven in your life. Oh, yeah. In other words, no tithey, tithey, no blessy, blessy, right? 
Oh, man. It's the key that will release miracles. No honor of what Jesus did upon the cross, no releasing of miracles. It's the key that will bless your relationships. When you honor your friends, you receive what they carry. It's the key. It's the key that will bless you in your workplace. Even with a, a painful workers, painful boss, it's the key that will create an environment of blessing. It's the key that will help you in your studies. It's the key. And there it was. Um, wow. Wow. I mean, it's not even like he tried to actually, you know, work through a biblical text. Sure did talk a lot about himself, though, didn't he? Didn't tell me anything about Jesus. Claimed to be a prophet. All these prophetic utterances over his life. I mean, so to question him is to question God. That's what it basically boils down to. And yet, um, I have no reason to believe that there are any living prophets on earth. Um, And no reason to believe that he's actually a prophet of God at all. So um, if he were a true prophet, he'd be telling me about Jesus because that's really who the prophets were all pointing everybody to. Um, But he was pointing everybody to himself. What would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.